The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Podcast Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hello and welcome to our discussion of The Natural, where we're talking about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the classic baseball movie. I'm Father Corey Stika. With me today are David Handlos. How's it going, David? Hello. I'm doing all right. And John Coral. How's it going? Hello. I'm doing great. Good, good. Glad to have you both here. Before we begin, I'd like to invite you to join in the discussion of this movie and our other shows on our Discord at sqpn.com slash Discord. And you can get your StarQuest merch at sqpn.com slash merch. So before we begin talking about this movie, I'm going to give a little quick summary here of, of this great classic baseball movie. Growing up in Nebraska, Roy Hobbs clearly had a natural talent for baseball, which his father encouraged. His father, however, died of a heart attack while Roy was at a young age. Roy continued his interest in baseball, even turning some of the tree his father died under into a baseball bat after it had been struck by lightning. Flash forward to high school, and his neighbor Iris has become his high school sweetheart. Roy's talent has blossomed, and a scout for the Chicago Cubs takes him on the train for a tryout. Along the way, he meets sport reporter Max Mercy and baseball star The Whammer. A wager during a water refueling stop lets Roy show his arm, striking out The Whammer with three pitches. He also catches the eye of Harriet Bird, who ends up stalking him. She invites him to her room, where she shoots him in the stomach before committing suicide. Roy survives, but it seems that his career is over. Sixteen years later, Roy is signed to the New York Knights, a perpetually struggling team. Though the manager, Pop Fisher, is unwilling to let him play, Roy quickly shows his ability and earns his position on the team. Almost immediately, the team's luck turns around and begins to win, climbing the standings. This alarms the judge, a co-owner of the team, who stands to take complete ownership from Pop if the team doesn't earn a pennant at the end of the season. The judge conspires with Gus Sands, a high-stakes gambler, and Mimo Paris, the beautiful former girlfriend of a Knights player who died, to distract Roy so that the team would start losing again. Meanwhile, Iris is following Roy's career from Chicago and attends a game while he is in the midst of his slump. After Roy sees her, he literally knocks the cover off the ball and his slump is broken. This leads to him reconnecting with her and pulling away from Mimo's influence. However, things are about to get worse. The silver bullet from Harriet Bird's shot remained in his stomach and was eating away at Roy's stomach lining. After becoming ill during a party, Roy is rushed to a maternity hospital and the bullet removed. Despite being told that continuing to play baseball would kill him and an attempted bribe by the judge, Roy returns to the Knights for the final game of the regular season. During the game, Roy is struggling due to his injury. However, Iris is there with her son, and she sends down a note to tell Roy that her son was also his. This energizes Roy, and he is able to win the game with a three-run home run that causes the stadium lights to explode in sparks. The Knights win the pennant, saving the team from the judge and putting it in Pop's ownership. The movie closes with Roy playing catch with his son in the field, where he played with his dad. So, David, what did you think of this movie? Well, this just kind of, I mean, I'm from the Midwest, and I work in Nebraska. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So this, I mean, just, just seeing that just reminds me of the ball, ball fields that I grew up watching ball in the summer and it just, it just reminded me of granted. I grew up in the, in the eighties, but still in a way it still mm-hmm. reminded me at home. So just seeing the, but, uh, just, just seeing people play ball, uh, that they, mm-hmm. and they really actually enjoyed it. And then I just, just huge wave of nostalgia, especially with Wilford Brimley in there. Oh yeah. <laughs> just watching this movie reminds me of, uh, Basically, just reminds me of childhood all over again. Just watching, but watching, watching uh, people play ball for the fun of it. Right? How about you, John? Uh, I've always, en- <laughs> I've always enjoyed watching it. I remember seeing it the first time when I was ten years old, and mm-hmm. you know, at the movie theater. And it just, I, I think one of the things that really um, makes it special, or not special, but um, interesting, is it's kind of like a Norman Rockwell painting. You know, the way that you pick the game and, you know, kind of the parody of, you know, what you would like your baseball stars to be and stuff like that. And and then you still have the other characters like, you know, the Whammer, like who's kind of the Babe Ruth and stuff. But mm-hmm. but I mean, I think that's what drew me into it was the 
the feeling, like like you said, of a Norman Rockwell painting. But then also, the music was really mm-hmm. stirring, and it just like it seems like every every time that you know there's quiet for a lot of the dialogue, and then once that music starts up, it just like swells up in you, and it just kind of takes you away with the action. That's I think the other thing that really captured me. Well, when I watched it the first time, and then subsequent times. Oh yeah, you know, it, it's interesting is. I realized when I watched this to prepare for the, for this recording, I had never actually seen it all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those movies that is, has become really part of kind of our American cultural surroundings and you see clips from it and you know, some of the plot lines and stuff from it, but I had re- never actually sat down and watched it. It's just one of those movies that I guess I knew about and I knew it just, but I never sat down. So this was kind of a treat for me as well to kind of watch it for the first time all the way through. And it was a, you know, very, very just, you know, it's an enjoyable movie. It's such, it's such a great movie. It is. I, I agree that the setting, you know, of course, in, you know, in the, the first part of it's in, you know, the teens, 19 teens mm-hmm. or so. And then the, the, the latter part of the movie is in, in the late, thir- late thirties. And, you know, again, it was more of, more of a time where things just seemed a little more idealistic, mm-hmm. whether or not they really were is another story, yeah. but, but this really, sh- and it shows the love of the love of the sport for baseball, you know, and, and and yeah, it's just, it was just a great move. And of course I enjoyed the cars cause I'm, I'm a car nut and all the old cars. I, I love that part too, oh. but, but yeah. So this, this is a movie that came out in 1984. Uh, so it's actually going on its 40th anniversary here pretty quick. Uh, it's hard, hard, kind of one of those that's, again, it's hard to wow. believe that it, it's been that yeah. long since this came out. Then I'm only <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that feeling. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? The eighties weren't 20 years ago. anymore? Right. Oh, <laughs> well, I forgot to mention the, the uh, sorry, just the last thing was about the, about this yeah. movie. Just that, I mean, the, I, the other reason that this hooked me was that, uh, Robert Redford's left-handed and I played ball left-handed. I was a left. Mm. So that's like, so just, just, and there you go. You were actively, you know, back in those days, you were actively discouraged from being a left-handed anything. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, especially back in the the twenties and thirties in that era, much less into the eighties. Yeah, heck, my grandfather was, and he just joked that he was he was just uh, too d- too dumb for them to 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 work it to work them out work it out <laughs> of them. So. Well, I'll say this too: it's like um, that was one of the things that I treat or I liked about the movie too, because. Even though I threw right-handed, I batted left-handed. Hmm. So I liked having, you know, having that little connection with Robert Redford. And then another thing too, as you're thinking, as I was thinking about this, is that because uh, <laughs> when you mentioned your grandfather, my grandfather was at at one point was a minor league pitcher for the Portsmouth Pirates. Oh wow! Oh, wow. And you know, so um, I rem- even at one point I drove to Portsmouth, which is which isn't too far from where I grew up in Cincinnati. To try to research some more of his, you know, the paper stories and stuff. And, you know, whereas he never made it to the majors or anything, but he did have, you know, some players that did, especially when World War II came around. Oh, sure. Then, um, wow. you know, you would see that some of those players were brought up because the major league players were, you know, taken overseas a lot of times. So I saw some of those same names, like in the baseball encyclopedia. I was like, oh, okay, there was this player and there he was. But, you know, so that was kind of neat, but that's also, I think, what connected me to the game more was the, or the movie was like you were saying the time frame and mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah and it, it is interesting that this is set right before World War II. You know, as well. You know, nineteen thirty nine is what I've seen online. I don't, I don't remember if the movie even shows the the exact date in in the movie. Well, it does show it like Bump Bailey on his grave mark or his, oh, that's his memorial. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's right. where I saw it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's the only place. I don't think we see like on a newspaper. You know, you see newspapers, but I don't think you actually see the date on it. Okay, that right. makes that makes sense. And yeah, so it's literally right before World War II. World War II is just starting, you know, warm up at this point. Mm-hmm. And again, there is kind of the innocence that's going on in this movie. You know, it just makes it interesting for what's what will come after in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just a great movie. I I love baseball. I've always loved baseball. I played a little bit and I really wasn't that great at it, but I always I've always loved watching baseball. And so yeah, the the baseball scenes are fun. Even maybe even especially the ones where they're not doing so well. Yeah, you, know, you get all the the bloopers and everything. This uh, another thing about this movie it was based on a book written in 
1952. So actually not that long after when it was set. Uh, and it sounds like the book itself has quite a few changes or the, the movie changed quite a few things from the book. I think John, you were saying it was like some of the names have changed and well, yeah, the one name was Iris, Iris Gaines in the movie is that, you know, I saw that on Amazon. It was actually, I think Iris lemon in the book and I, it's been 30 years since I read the book. So I don't remember all, but then <laughs> there is like a different ending in the book. And, you know, so there are some significant changes that, but the main main story is kind of the kind of the same. It's one of the things though, where I like the book better or the movie better than the book, which hmm. <laughs> isn't always the case. But but no, and the book was actually from I'm, I I I cannot pronounce the guy's name, but the the book was actually based on some on an actual player, hmm. at least at least inspired by who was you know a player who was shot, yeah, and then made a comeback later. Yeah, so the the sh- the shooting scene was uh, that the player was Eddie. Waitkus, that, there you go. W a i t k u s, uh, and he was at the time was playing for the the Pirates. Or no, excuse me, not the the Pirates, the Phillies. I think it was, and um, had this stalker from Chicago who, uh, when he was traded from Chicago, she went and, and did this uh, when it shot him. But fortunately, in his case, he only lost the, half the season and came back the next season and did well. But uh, yeah, it wasn't quite quite the same scenario. There wasn't the the suicide attempt, I think, on the on the part of the the shooter. She was just uh, confined to a mental institution mm-hmm. for for a number for a while because that was, you know, stalking wasn't a thing back then. I mean, fan stalking wasn't a thing quite quite this, back then. Yeah, not, not not quite to this level. At least people didn't quite under quite know it. And of course, in in this movie, it's she's she's done it to a couple of players, and he was kind of her last one. Because uh, cause it's a line that goes by really quickly where they talk about how these two people had been shot by someone with silver bullets. And then she, that's what she does. She shoots Roy with a silver bullet and then commits suicide afterwards. So it's kind of an interesting. Well, and the movie does a good job, though. I mean, it was obvious that she was coming after the whammer because she was going after like a an Olympic star and then a football star or something. And then mm-hmm. then she went after the the biggest baseball star who would have been the whammer at the time. Yep, and then when they have that three pitches on the on the side of the train tracks, and yep. then you know, and Roy gets the third strike, they do a good job of seeing how she shifts her eyes from the whammer over to yep. Roy, and then now he's the target. Yeah, she she wanted nothing to do with him on the train at first until she saw what he was capable of, and then all of a sudden, whammer who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she, she wanted everything to do with him at that point. Going to the opening scene, let's you know, kind of jump back to there. That that's that's it's such a interesting and powerful scene where he's playing you know catch first playing catch with his dad, and he's he clearly has you know the ability. He's he's the, I I love that where he, he the dad draws a circle on the 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 uh, the chicken barn mm-hmm. and uh, he throws the ball right through it, and you just see this chicken looking out, going, "What was that?" <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, it was such a such a you know interesting scene, but it was you know do you see him like he's got he's obviously got this talent, um, and his dad is encouraging it, and you know it, it kind of you can similar note to um or kind of an opposite note actually from Field of Dreams. You know we had talked about Field of Dreams a few months ago, and it's kind of the opposite note where Kevin Costner's character wasn't interested in playing catch with his dad, and now this is the mm-hmm. opposite is. You know, Roy wanted to play catch with dad. He wanted to play baseball. You know, he wanted to do these things with dad. And his dad has that heart attack uh, at a relatively young age. You know, Roy was still, what, preteen, I would guess, before high school. But it was, you know, that was obviously an important moment in his life. And then we have the the tree getting stuck, struck by lightning. And of course, that's where he takes, he takes his, uh, lightning bolt he puts on the bat that he makes out of it. And that's, that's such a cool scene to watch him where he's actually, turning the bats and everything and yeah that's uh i remember the funny funny thing is i saw the simpsons episode that was based on this before i saw this oh, movie nice. where <laughs> of course homer makes it makes a something like something uh makes a, a bat called wonder bat uh, mm. and it's nothing really that inspired about why well, he just he just he he was doing the most dangerous thing you could think. Like he was, you know, a storm was coming, so he grabbed a, me- a metal a metal sheet to put over his head to cut, to protect himself from the rain in a thunderstorm. And he ran and he ran 
He ran underneath the tallest tree he could find. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly as he narrates it, and then it gets hit by lightnings. And then, then of course, I see the movie. I'm like, okay, this makes much more sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a much better... It's much better done. Yeah, exactly. And what's good too, though, is in the you know before, well, when his dad is talking to him and he tells him, you know, you've got our gift, Roy, you know, mm -hmm. but it's not enough. You've got to develop yourself, and then rely too much on your own gift and you'll fail. Mm, but right. you know the the guidance, and then it's interesting how that'll come up later again and stuff. But no, but exactly the, the guidance of a father there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, saying that, okay, you, you might be able, you'll get noticed for your ability, basically say you get noticed for your ability, but you've got to be a, a fuller person. You can't mm -hmm. just be a baseball player. And that was, that was kind of what you see, the, the, the whammer. That's kind of who he was where, oh yeah, he would do that. Oh, it's always great to meet a member, member of the general public and kind of, that was, you know, just kind of pass him off. But he didn't have a lot of character. He was, mm -hmm. he was the whammer. He was this big slugger, you know, Babe Ruth, you know, kind of, kind of based on Babe Ruth. I don't know if Babe Ruth was quite as crass. Depends on which which newspaper had clippings you read from back in the day. Uh, yeah, but, let me guess. Which ones like Babe Ruth? He was the greatest guy. If he wasn't, he was a right. Jerk. No. Yeah, it was all or then all or nothing sometimes in those. But in other words, just like the media today, pretty much. Yep, yep. So something <laughs> some things never change. Yeah, something's never changed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we think you know we think the media today is is, is you know divided and you know corrupt and all this stuff. I was like, oh, you look at the media back in the early 1900s. Oh, they yeah. they, were, they were pretty bad. They could be pretty bad, you know. There mm -hmm. there were some muckrakers comes out of the term muckraker comes out of that era with yes. good reason. And, and of course, in in the beginning here, we also get introduced to Iris Gaines, the the neighbor that he clearly has some interest in. Mm -hmm. uh and when of course as he goes into high school they see that that interest is a little more than just friendship shall we say <laughs> but he, he ends up she ends up being his his high school sweetheart and the girl that he's gonna marry and everything and well plans don't quite go as he expected uh we find out later though that the the night before was much more significant than what he thought yes <laughs> to say the least mm -hmm. i love the scene on the train the scene on the train was was so was so interesting where you know again he's this is the first time he'd ever been on the train and so he's not sure of himself and you see this is where you get to meet these characters we get to meet max and max kind of like, yeah whatever i don't know who you are i don't they don't care mm -hmm. until he shows shows who he really is you know he gets to actually show his ability and he's very just he's just there until time comes but uh and then it's and you meet yeah with max and then the whammer mm -hmm. and um and then you get, you do get to see though how impatient the whammer gets. It's like he can be good for a few minutes, um, a moment or two, and then mm -hmm. if you just keep talking to him a little more, then he's like, "All right, let, let's play cards. Let's uh, yep, Some, let's yeah. do whatever and stuff." But yeah, the train was neat. And the one thing too, when and it's throughout the movie is like when he gets on the train. I, there's so many scenes where you see something, then something happens, and then the person disappears. Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, so you see him sitting, then he disappears and he's on the train. You see Harriet Bird outside. She's standing, waiting to get on the train. Then she disappears, you know, and it's like, it's, they've used that. I mean, throughout the movie, like Max Mercy in the stands and that, you know, it's just kind of, I just found that, you know, I never noticed, I noticed it here or there, but then I noticed it, man, this is like mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, some kind something that the director really used a lot with that, but. But no, that but the the train scene definitely just getting that you get a feel for who his manager is and mm -hmm. as well as the the introduction to Max Mercy. Yeah, and it was just the and then you know when the train pulls over and they they have to refuel it because it's old steam train. Of course, you have to refuel with water, not just with mm -hmm. coal or whatever they use for fuel, but you had to refill it with water as well, and it would take half an hour. And there just happens to be a carnival there, and it, it, so much so much fun, you know. The whammer's there. Oh, he's putting on a show. He's, you know, he's doing home run, doing home run derby right there. And, uh, Roy goes and he just does, you know, pitch the, the pitch, you know, ball pitch. And he's just knocking them down, knocking them down, knocking them down. And there's just a few people kind of hanging around, just kind of watching, but nothing like the whammer where it's, it's like, oh, this big star came to town, but uh, Roy, Roy gets to, to show who he is. And they did a good job too with that, yeah. with, you know, there seemed to be, you know, when they get to the, 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 the three pitches. And the mm -hmm. sun going down, mm -hmm. and and there's you know in the beginning when he's playing with his father, you know throwing a baseball. It's you know there's a lot of the 
golden fields or whatever, then mm. you get that same kind of feel there in the out there by the train tracks. And yeah. um and then of course as the music builds up too for it <laughs> mm-hmm. over time. But Yeah, they're great at, they're uh, just great at setting the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one thing I I mean the the cinematography in this is just incredible. You know, the the the, the sets that they come up or the, the the views that they come up, you know, the scenes they come up with and everything are just I mean, just gorgeous in some cases, you know, and, and again, it's that particular scene. It's just, it's just that golden hour, that, that perfect hour right before sunset. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great, just, you know, interesting scene. Another really interesting scene. You know, he's, he's, he's nothing special or he doesn't look like anything special. He's very reserved. That's, that's one thing you have to say about Roy. A lot of things mm-hmm. he's very reserved until he gets excited. That's a that's part of the part of the thing that makes him such a mystery to everybody throughout most of the film. Mm-hmm. And you know, but even though he's reserved, he is confident. You know, it's that's yes. the thing. It's like it's not that he's just sitting there nervous about stuff or, or quiet because you know he's he's got a quiet confidence about him. And <laughs> whereas the whammer is just a blusterous guy who's mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. you know he can hit the ball far and is a great player, but you know he'll let you know it <laughs> with his words no. as well as his bat. Yeah, exactly. But we keep mentioning the 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 music. Uh, Randy Newman was the composer of the music for this, and it's just excellent. I mean, it's it, again, it's 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 one of those scores that that's so well known. If you're familiar with baseball or if you're familiar with uh, uh, movies, this is you know one of those those movies that the scores is you know you, people listen to it all the time, you know, kind of thing. You know, so it's so well known. I love uh, the the third pitch where you know Max is standing behind as basically as umpire, and he takes about five steps back. <laughs> He's like, "I'm not going to stand right behind you for this one because he <laughs> sees that you know Roy can throw the heat. Mm-hmm. He's throwing it good. You know, I mean, he's throwing it right yeah. down the middle, and just the whammer doesn't even stand a chance. But he's like, "No, I'm I'm not going to stand that close." <laughs> <Look at Yeah>. it. <laughs> well, and on that first pitch, there's a nice little piece of humor when he throws that pitch and. Bud Simpson catches it and he he's shaking his hand because it hurts so yep. much. Right. And he's like, are you okay? But, and he's like, oh, it's this darn glove. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and stuff. Blame the glove, yeah. Yeah. But it's those little lines too, that, you know, are kind of like throughout the movie that just make you laugh or, you know, just a little humor, but it's just, it adds to the heartwarming feel of the movie. Exactly. And so, then, um, after that third strike though, the thing that I like too, though, is when he's running back onto the train, and then you have that yeah. that little moment with the boy saying, "Hey, Mister, what's your name?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he forgot his coat. He had to get his coat from the kid, and <laughs> yeah. And then he throws the ball to him, and it's like a picture perfect moment. You know, it's like oh yeah, you know, imagine you know that kind of thing too, and a nice, nice wholesome, you know, happy moment. That was kind of, but that, yeah. That kind of stuff is just, you know, like I said, throughout the movie, it's neat. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I like about him, too, is like even later on, how he interacts with the kids. You yep. know, he's always making time for them, which is what you want your superstars to have and not, you know, not just blow them off. It's just mm-hmm. they, here, <laughs> let me give you a little time. And that little time really has a big impact on that child. Absolutely. It's just very down to earth. That's, that's one thing about mm-hmm. this character. Throughout the whole thing, he's very down to earth i mean he knows he's good at baseball and he knows he's um he's got the ability but he doesn't brag about it and i I know that's that's part of the reason why the whammer is kind of at the beginning of this to show the contrast between this big superstar who knows he's good and he like you said he knows he's good and he's gonna let you know he's good and then roy who's he's very he almost seems out of place he's gonna there he's there to do the job he's gonna do the job and then he's done that's it yep yep exactly you know we do find out though that roy does have the same goals as the whammer though i mean the mm-hmm. whammer you know because earlier on harriet bird asked him max mercy if the whammer is the best and he says he's the best ever was the best there is now and the best there ever will be mm-hmm. and then you find out roy hobbs though that's <laughs> his goal is that when somebody sees him walking down the road you know the street they'll say there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's like he does have this goal, you know, he is reserved and all that, but he also has a burning desire to get that recognition of being the best and wanting oh, to yeah. achieve that kind of level. 
He is still human. There's no. Oh yeah. I'm not going to debate that. He's still a very human guy. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of leads to his downfall at the first first part of the movie, where um, they get to Chicago and and she's a uh, Harriet Bird is is paying lots of attention to him, mm-hmm. you know, because he's going to be the biggest player and she wants to go after the biggest player mm-hmm. and uh, biggest baseball player and. So she goes to the same goes to the same hotel. Just happens to be in the same hotel that they're playing. They're staying at. You know what a coincidence. And then when he goes down, she uh, it looks like she's going to try to seduce him, but instead kill or tries to kill him. Shoots him in the it ends up shooting him in the stomach. And then she, then we see through a picture that she had committed suicide afterwards. And that that pretty much just just because of his being human, that seemed like he his career would be over at that point. You're right. Right. But then, then, and trying to, I mean, I was looking at, they don't really fill in the gaps between that, uh, that much between this. And then the next thing you know, he's signing, you know, well, not 16 years later, he's back at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't, they don't say, and even he kind of says, he just kind of go was, was here or there, you know? So was he playing, you know, and, and he, there was kind of a hint that it, for some of it, he was playing, you know, like local baseball and things like that, mm-hmm. but nothing, nothing like he was even semi-pro until right before he was picked up by the Knights. But obviously he never went home. Nope. No, we know, we know that for a fact, because I, he, he would have connected with Iris most likely. And he was. You know, he did spend two years in a hospital, he says, when he's oh, talking to her at one point. Two years. But then, yeah. you know, you wonder when Max Mercy is saying, you know, here are all these rumors that you might have been involved with uh, the circus or you could have been or something. You know, it was just mm-hmm. like, you know, and then you might have even killed some or s- killed someone or something like yeah. that. So it's like, you know, maybe there were some stories, you know, maybe he did go do something like, you know, maybe he was yeah. hitting home runs like the Whammer somewhere or. At one point, I don't know. But, pitches, yeah, or, yeah, but it's just, but yeah, there is a lot of mystery because, yeah, we, he only accounts for like three or four of those years, it sounds, mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like. But then again, if it was 39, from 30 to 39, that would be the great, or, you know, it's, would that be the Great Depression? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, you know, work would have been hard and who knows what he was doing through all that time. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah, it's, this is kind of one of the reasons why when I look at this, I really see it kind of as a, a, a fairy tale type story, you know, where they're not worried about filling in all the details and it's not meant to be gritty and realistic. And, you know, it, it's got, uh, you know, another analogy people use is King Arthur tales, you know, the night, the, the, you know, how he's like King Arthur mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, where it's, it, it is kind of a, I mean, it's a fictionalized story, but it, it, it does have, like I said, kind of that fairy tale type elements. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's, remember if, uh, you know, he's originally being brought to, uh, brought to the majors as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then, but then, you know, obviously you know, he gets shot. And then later, you know, when he, when he catches on at the Knights, he's known as a hitter. Mm hmm. And then it's, yeah, so that's, I always thought that, I always thought that part was interesting that, yeah, that was part of another part of the mystery that, you know, no one knew he could really pitch right uh, immediately, right off the bat. So that just kind of lent a little air of mystery to the Mm -hmm. whole thing where he just did, you know, he does all, you know, after pitching being his, his, his biggest thing, that's not what he led with by the time he finally, he finally made it onto the majors. Well, and even you could tell he hadn't pitched in a while because he, uh, when he did throw that one pitch, he, you know, it, it, it it's like his arm was, you know, wasn't used to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, got sore and, and stuff like that from throwing it. Like he threw his arm, it, you know, some, something he had done, but he hadn't done that in a long time and his body is kind of rebelling against it. I was wondering if that wonder, I was wondering if he was gun, sh- you know, I hate, uh, sorry, that was a terrible choice of words, but gun shy. Above. <laughs> but yeah, you know, just of, of, of pitching after that because that that was you know that was a, a brought, that brought a low point to his life mm-hmm. and just just stop pitching after that. Just a thought. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, I was wondering though. It's like maybe the injury from the bullet, you know, made it hard for him to throw like that. You know that because 
Because when he threw the pitch, you know, you could tell his arm was out a little out of whack too from it. But he also seemed like he was, I don't know if he reached or stretching a certain way to, because maybe that caused him pain down there. And then he had, and then the, through those 16 years, he had to become a hitter in order mm-hmm. to come back or to have the chance he couldn't pitch. I don't know. Well, also as someone who tried to do something when he was, when he was 35 after 10 years of not doing it, I'll tell you, oof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's things that we we all probably did when we were much younger that if we tried now, we would be visiting the doctor very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. But yeah, it, and I, I love that where they, they introduce that he's coming in. I literally, he's just walking up the tunnel to the bullpen, right, or to the dugout, right during a game. You know, just nondescript, not like showing up in the office or anything. Just he just shows up in his fedora and leather jacket, and hey, I'm here to play. And and Pop Fisher delivers one of the best lines about we don't need any middle aged rookies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's like just again one of those little lines that get thrown in there, but it's just yeah. You know, and I always yeah. find myself laughing or you know really enjoying those, but. Um, what I f- was wondering though is a little bit later when he's getting, you know, when they fi- he finally agrees to let him be on the team, he says mm-hmm. he goes to was it Doctor Dizzy or whatever to uh, suit up, you know, and then he goes in there and the guy says, he says, "How about 11? He goes, "That's a bad luck number," but I don't want to go into that now. I'm like, I wonder what makes that a bad luck number <laughs> mm. before he chooses number nine. But yeah, it's like. But then his introduction to the rest of the team, everybody thinks he's a coach and not a player. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. It's neat to see how, you know, he interacts with them. Well, it's it's interesting, too, because, of course, Pop Fisher is like, well, well, you'll be on the team. You won't set foot on the field, but you'll be on the team. (laughs) Yeah. And they had to have that whole whole, uh, series of scenes where he's sitting there and they're having the, the little counselor psychologists they're losing is like an addiction and you know it's like it's like this it's like you know you use all these different analogies for what it's like and eventually roy just i'm done walks out get, gets yelled at yeah. losing is a disease as contagious disease as polio <laughs> yeah <laughs> losing is a disease as contagious as bubonic plague you know <laughs> Yeah, and then you're just looking at all the all the bad play at the same time, and it's just yeah, that's Doctor Knobs is one of the <laughs> you know, and then the way they put that over all those plays, you know, it's just mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's you know, instead of feeling bad, you're just <laughs> enjoying the the humor. Yeah, exactly, and uh, it is I, I, cool. I thought it was kind of cool where Roy's just like, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not going to do this kind of stuff. And he walks out and he's, you know, of course, Pop Fisher immediately starts yelling at him about participating and everything like that. And, you know, and be, you know, be here at, at batting practice tomorrow, you know, kind of for your final chance. And he's like, mm. I have been every day, mm. you know, where he's willing to even just go there and be humiliated of sitting on the bench during batting practice, but he's been there. And he gets his gets his chance and shows him what he can do. And what's neat is the next day at batting practice, and you know he gets up there and hits his first home run, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden Pop Fisher takes a sip of water from the water fountain. Oh yeah, and all, and it starts tasting okay because it, before that they've been spitting out the water every time they right, take right, a sip right. of how bad it tastes. Yep. Well, it, it's it really is a. Um, like a fairy tale. <laughs> a sim- yeah, a symbol. Well, it, I mean, it's a symbol because as Roy goes, the team goes. So as mm-hmm. when he's hot, the team gets hot. When he starts struggling, the team struggles. You know, and it, it's very, um, but yeah, there, there's that where the, you know, the water, you, you look at it. I mean, it's rust brown. It's nasty. Uh. And it's, it's like, but he doesn't care at that point. Right. You know, he's like, hey, we got, we got somebody that could hit. Mm-hmm. And he does. And then, well, was, of course, you know, then you have the, the scenes where he's hitting Homer after Homer. I mean, he's just clobbering mm-hmm. it. You know, this is. 
Yeah. Again, a bit unrealistic how far and how hard he hits it. And they think they're he's hitting it with a cork bat. You know, right. with Wonder Boy there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, where did you get that bat? Well, I made it. Well, we you know, we need to weigh it. We need to make sure it's, it's not legal. Hollow. And of right. course it is. <laughs> so he keeps using it and keeps hitting. But uh Yeah, it's like as long as when he struggles, it's it's just kind of uh it's not as bad as when he was, you know, shot all those years ago. But yeah, just whenever he, whenever he starts slipping a little bit morally, his game slips, slips as mm-hmm. well. So yeah, yeah, and that's where you got kind of the good versus evil mm-hmm. between Iris and now is it Memo? Is how I, th- how I thought it sounded like they pronounced her name. Was her memo? Well, it's, I thought they said Memo, but it it looks. I mean, it's spelled <laughs> Memo. But yep. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I thought. That's that's what I thought too. But uh, you got that you know that good versus evil, the the light versus the dark, and the and it's even with the the attires. Through most of it, Mimo's wearing black or dark colors, and Iris is wearing white or light colored. And when he's with Mimo, he's slipping. He's you know he's slumping. He's not doing well. He's distracted, and she's kind of leading him astray. But then Iris comes in, and you know. The light, of course, that that scene where she's standing there and her hat is glowing like a halo around her <laughs> head, you know, and he turns around, and then just it's like it's just almost it's an, literally an instant transformation, and he is, he just, well, he doesn't knock it out of the park, but is it, is it the scoreboard he busts? No, the, the clock, the clock, yeah. the clock. That's yeah. what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, all of a sudden he starts hitting again because now he's got. Got Iris back in his life, and he does kind of fades away from Mimo. You know, he's been spending time with her and sleeping with her and all this stuff, and now he's now Iris gets into the picture and he kind of fades away from her. You know, he's he's not as involved with her as much, and he gets back back to it. But no, it's it, that's that's where it's kind of interesting where he gets. You know, yeah, of course, if you watch baseball, you know, players go through slumps. They go through periods where they do really well and periods where they don't. And it, like like you said, it's when he's acting immorally, when he's you know involved with with Mimo, he slumps. As soon as he gets away from her, or starts to get away from her, he kind of comes back. I always like early on too when you know, or when Iris doesn't know, you know where Roy is, and then she's at that Parkside candy store or whatever. You oh know, yeah, and they're just reading, you know. And Al's talking to the other person about this guy, you know, that mm-hmm. they have this newspaper article about him because of his first game when he knocks the cover off the ball with yep. the lightning strike. And then, um, it, you know, it's just neat because then he mentions, you know, they're talking about Wonder Boy, the bat and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, she perks up and like Wonder Boy, you know, and then Roy, you know, then she, of course, she knows who he is. And then, oh, yeah. But, you know, she's been in Chicago, what, like 10 or 12 years, probably trying to find said, him because that's where he was going to be for the his right. tryout. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was neat that just to see how, you know, she came about or how they wrote, <laughs> showed how yeah. she found out about Roy back again. Yep. She goes to the game and then they end up meeting up and everything. And, and she kind of hints that her son is his as well, mm-hmm. but doesn't explicitly say it. Mm-hmm. And, he, I, and I, I almost got the feeling like he didn't quite get it, you know? Right. Well, I, I was pretty sure he didn't get it because he, she was, you know, he, the dad lives in New York or I think it was the phrase or something like mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. and she's like, eh, it, it, like, like in many cases, you, us guys have to have it laid out for us pretty, cl- pretty <sighs> clear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which of course she does at the the very end, you know, the big big closing. She makes it clear to him, but yeah, it's just cuz it, it you could tell she's trying to hit it. She's trying to say, "Oh yeah, you know, I haven't seen his his father in a long time." He, or he doesn't know his father and his father lives in New York and and it's just kind of like um get the hint, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, by the way, you know, he's 16 years old. Hint hint hint, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a baseball player, quite, not a mathematician. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, 
kind of as this is going on, you know, we have the the whole drama of the of the judge, you know. But that's all he's known as. He's not known there's no other name, it's just the judge. Um and Gus, who is the the big big uh, money guy, uh, Gus Sands, guy with all the money and then of course Mimo and uh they're they're getting concerned because they want the judge wants to take over the team and if they make the pennant, he won't get the team. That's part of their contract, which kind of an interesting part of the contract where if we make the pennant you have to sell to me if we don't i have to sell to you that's i always thought even even watching that as a as a young guy i always thought like that's a that's like something that's that's like one of those bets you'd make uh uh that's like one of those weird gambling bets you'd make that you never Mm -hmm. thought you'd have to own up to yeah i think it kind of was i think it kind of was it's a one thing that's kind of thought about it as as after i watched the movie there's a lot of you could tell they they based some of um the movie major league off of this movie some of the plot lines kind of match um you know you got the the wild thing is the natural you know and and things like that i mean it's not a one-to-one comparison but you've got we have to go to we have to get the pennant or otherwise we move the they are going to move the team and we're all out of a job in the case of this it's you know we have to get the pennant or otherwise pop loses the team and they'll probably all be out of a job, you know, same kind of thing. I can't, okay. I'm not the only one who thought of major league. Okay. Cause yeah. in major league two, which was not as high, which was a step down in a lot of cases. It did play mm-hmm. up on the whole. He's, he's when he gets distracted and, and civilized or whatever, he's not as good of a pitcher. Right. So yeah, I caught that, caught that too. Yeah. It's, it's doesn't surprise me that you know again this is this is it became a you know kind of a classic baseball movie so it, it makes sense that other movies would pull off of different themes from this oh totally uh, of course major league was much funnier but this was funny but major league was much funnier yeah the original yeah. well different types of humor yeah yeah different type of humor definitely not not yeah. something we're going to talk about on here let's put it that way yeah, <laughs> yeah. robert redford but, different type of humor so yeah what and I find it interesting though too, though it's like you know, as you, when he meets the judge, especially you know, once again, like you're talking about the light and the dark. There he is, you know, in the dark, and yep. then, um, and then, but also it's it's interesting because it's like when you know Harry Bird talks to him, she's talking to him about what are your goals in life, in a sense, mm-hmm. and he's like, I just want to be the best, and she's like, No, there's more, isn't there? And then he talks to the judge, and he's like. The judge is telling him, well, you should be thinking about your future. Mm. And it's like, there's so many throughout the movie. Everybody's talking about his future, even Mimo later on. And Iris, you know, Iris is more listen to him and give advice. Whereas other people are telling him, this is what you should do with your future. This is what mm. you should, you know, it's, you know, Gus Sands. This is what, you know, if you do this for me, then, yep. you know, you'll have your future set with this. And mm. maybe that's kind of like having lost a father, you know, early on. He struggles with, you know, the, the idea of what my future is. He's looking at, you know, or trying to find some guidance or advice and not having that until maybe Iris comes back in his life. Well, there's even that connection to that past where when they're talking, Iris and Roy are talking, you asked about the farm. He said, oh, there's always going to be, I didn't sell. There's always going to be the farm, (laughs) you know, kind of basically saying this is kind of like giving the advice for your future and maybe needs to be your past. Mm-hmm. on the farm instead of um you know going out and being the superstar and, and making all the money and all that kind of stuff again it's it's that that parallel like i said light and dark good and evil you know iris is the, the you know the light the good side the mimo and the judge and and gus are the dark the evil side you know mm-hmm. you want to talk about the force you know no. <laughs> yeah. what does that make pop then i don't know wolf of Brimley's <laughs> character i don't know um not yoda <laughs> no definitely not yoda so. kind of yeah kind of the wise older advisor though or mm-hmm. he, he's fun he, he always he's always say, i should have been a farmer yeah i like animals i like farming <laughs> <laughs> you know again another reminder of going back to the farm but mm-hmm. he's he's fun and then he had a uh, red farmer and then he was another great great character kind of kind of becomes the first friend that uh roy has on the team or red blow, excuse me, not red farm, red blow kind mm. of becomes the first friend that, uh, Roy has. And he kind of takes him under his wing a little bit and 
guides him to the to the point where he can stand up for himself and say, you know, so that he could actually play. Yeah, and yeah, his interaction with Roy as well as uh, Pop is always <laughs> he's always pretty much kind of like you know, or he makes those little subtle comments that yep. you know that'll uh, that are really good. That <laughs> I think he's they use him mainly just to understand what the situation is mostly it's like this is pop situation because you you know he's not getting it from pop and this is the judge's situation and everything and he's the exposition character yep yeah (laughs) exactly one scene i love um is towards towards the end when when uh, roy is hurting and uh max is causing trouble and he's out there with the uh, out there with the, the 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 camera the old flash bulb camera and he nails a home run right into him, causing him to drop the camera. You know, Roy, Roy, even when he was sick, he didn't put up with a lot of, put up with that kind of stuff. You know, again, the, you know, cause that Max was also kind of a, uh, kind of on the, he's a fence straddler. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Kind of how I saw him. Um, cause he was part of that group, Mimo and Gus and in the, the judge, but only as, as far as he, I think he felt his career was kind of hit to them. But if he saw something else, he'd kind of go after them instead. And so. Yeah. Opportunistic. Exactly. But yeah, you mentioned he was sick. I thought that was, um, I was trying to think of some uh, silver, uh, cause, you know, he was sick because of the silver bolt that was still in his body mm-hmm. for 16 years. And that's something I still just, you know, I never, I mean, Silver bullets kind of have a meaning uh, in some in some circles, and I, I didn't know if this movie was aiming for something with that or not. But it's just you know it's basically poisoning from years yeah. of it being in his body. I th- I think that's what it was because silver is not going to break down as easily as maybe lead would. Mm, true. true. I mean, Although, lead would poison in a different way, and probably quicker, actually, and probably quicker. Yeah, yeah. But it's. You know, maybe silver bullets had something to had some had some meaning for that stalker or something like that. But I just mm-hmm. thought silver bullets are were well, they've never been, never been common. But maybe back then it would have been easier to find somebody to craft something for for you back then. Could be but, yeah, silver bullets. I just like before you know before this movie, I thought that that was pretty much either for Lone Rangers or werewolves. That's about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's. You know, and one thing I, I like about this, I, 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 there's an interesting thing they do in the scene where he gets, he first, you know, gets sick. Um, they're at the party and Mimo gives something to him. Like it look, looks like a little roll or something like that. It actually looks like a little piece of sushi, although I doubt it was because I wasn't very popular here in the States then, but you know, um, but something, some little appetizer and it almost played up like she had poisoned him, you know, and that, that's, that's why he got sick. And of course, it turns out that's when, you know, the worst of the effects of the bullet really kind of kicked in, um, was at that moment and then ends up at the, the, uh, maternity Maternity. ward hospital. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta go. You gotta go. It's um, exactly pick something. I do think though, Mimo did, uh, poison him or did something to him because Gus comes to him right away after he can't talk, you know, Mm -hmm. or bribe him. And says, you know, I don't like to be disappointed. And, you know, so she goes yeah, and gives him that little hors d'oeuvre of whatever it was. And Yeah. And it'd be like, it'd be interesting to know what that was about, too, though. Or it's, it's possible, too, as I think about it, maybe she did poison him. And that was because he was poisoned. They found the bullet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because if they're pumping his stomach for the poison and then that came up. Yeah. <laughs> or, yep. or something. That would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what's this? Oh, jeez. Yeah, exactly. How'd this get in there? Oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of got missed 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, think about, I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly when, but, you know, by the late 30s and the 40s, x-rays were actually possible back then, I think. Yeah, I don't know if they would have been common yet. No, but they definitely would not have been during the te- late teens, early 20s. No, because no, that was... Yeah, because I don't remember exactly when uh, 
they were working on that technology. Curies were working on that technology. But I want to say that's late 1800s, early 1900s. So yeah, if it would have been, you know, it would have been probably in experimental status even into World War II. Yeah. I don't know. That's the one thing I've never looked up. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I read I a, thought about it. I was reading a book about, um, I used to read uh, stories, um, alternate history stories. And right around the 40s, x-rays were at least com- common knowledge about what they did. I don't know how, you know, it was mm. probably expensive as all get out, but. Just thought it was interesting. Like, you know, they probably would have found, been able to find the bullet if you, you know, being a celebrity and all that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe not in the maternity ward, but you never know. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too, is the maternity ward might not have had anything like that, anyways. So, would Google tell me the answer really quickly? Oh, oh by 1930, x rays were part, routine part of patient diagnostics. Okay. There we go. Finally. <laughs> I mean, again, whether or not the hospital at a, maternity ward would have had that for him probably not but well the thing was that was when he was shot though that was 16 years earlier from 30 mm-hmm. so that would be 1923 yeah and yep. and in some small town or well he was in chicago though at that point but so, even still right but yeah but it wasn't as common back then but like and he wasn't that famous <laughs> he no. was just some guy for a tryout for the cubs at that point exactly exactly and of course, that's while he's down in the hospital. That's when we have the judge come by with his bribe, twenty thousand dollars, which back in nineteen thirty nine would have been a lot of money. And of course, he throws it right, right on his stomach. You know, you, mm. you notice that he, take, he took the pouch and threw it right on his stomach on the thing that was causing him his problems. And it's the one time the judge turns the light on. Yep, you know, because he's always in the dark, and then but he's all he's still wearing black. Mm-hmm. as he shows up for that and then before that Mimo comes in to give her spiel of you know do it for me don't play another game we can be set up you know with your mm-hmm. future and then the judge comes in and says here's money for your future mm-hmm. <laughs> yep and you know all you have to do is what I want you to you know don't focus and then, the but, and, thro- and, and then they use the the extra motivation or threat of the pictures from yep. you know the crime scene or you know from yep. back you know when Harry Bird shot him. Yep. But interestingly we have that scene we don't hear it, but we you know we see him and Iris talking as they're standing there kind of on, on the outside of the the feet ballpark there talking mm-hmm. about and he's telling her everything that happened. Right. So even if we don't know what what happened those sixteen years, he's telling her what happened. Mm-hmm. So he's not worried about not worried about her finding out. In fact, when Max tries to confront her, she just kind of basically blows him off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when you see him as a kind of a weasel more so yep. than <laughs> any other time, you know, when he's well, like you, trying to shame if these peak pictures leaked out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'm trying to do everything I can to protect them, you know, <laughs> you know, make yeah, sure, sure they don't, are. but you know, <laughs> but, but that's really though when Iris though talks to him. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie though, mm-hmm. because it's the perfect line when she says, "You know, when he's talking about the future and stuff too, you know, or and he says, you know, he says, well, what we, you know, he he's not going to be able to play again, and he always wanted to say, you know, when you walk down the street, he was the best. There goes Roy Howe, mm-hmm. the best there ever was." But then she says, you know, I believe we have two lives, the life we learn with and the life we live with after that, with or without the records, they'll remember you. And she gives him a perspective of, you know, don't live in your regret, (laughs) you know, and and looking at the past, look ahead, you know, where you are now and all you did achieve. And and it's it's perfect because here he is beginning his second life in a maternity ward. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so that's why, I mean, it's, you know, so it's like he was born again and so mm-hmm. he's sitting there and that's... getting to start a second life. And she gives him the perspective probably that, you know, his dad could have given him if he were around or something. Cause exactly. you know, that's what he has been missing as he's been dwelling on all those negatives in the past and what he could have been versus what he did become and, and the impact he has had. 
Yep. And and then again, he but she still doesn't tell him at that point, or can't wants to tell him, and then the nurse comes in mm-hmm. about his son, and it's like that would have you know maybe it would have been even a different experience then for him mm-hmm. going into that last game, but. But that is where he decides to play the last game. You know, that mm-hmm. he's going to do it for, for Pop. He's going to do it for, well, to finish off. You know, that he mm-hmm. wants to finish off that one last game. And he mm-hmm. wants to help the team win. And right. so he, uh, despite, you know, everybody saying don't do it, and despite the fact he's in obvious pain, mm-hmm. he's still going to do it. He's still mm-hmm. going to play that game. And uh, and he struggles. You know, the team does does okay, except the pitcher was also in, in the judge's pocket. Right. Before the game starts, though, too. And he goes and throws, gives the money back to the judge, mm-hmm. you know, saying, I'm not going to be in on this. I want to hit away and stuff. And then Gus Sands, you know, kind of gives him, you know, brings the movie back full circle to what his father said, in a sense. <laughs> but not the you're yesterday's news kid, but he that's the first part. But then he says, mm-hmm. you have a great gift, a talent, but it's not enough. And just like his father said in the beginning, but except now, you know, throw him, throw him back at him then a a real negative angle at the end of his career here. And, um, I'll go ahead. And it shows that Gus didn't know who he really was. Right. And neither did the judge. Cause the judge was, well, I thought you had morals and stand, you know, I thought you, (laughs) you know, and of course it's like, well, I'm living them by giving the money back and not playing your game. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not taking your bribe. And then when Roy comes to the conclusion that the the other person in on it is that pitcher, Al Al Fowler, Mm -hmm. he goes up to talk to him. And Al's thinking, well, last he heard, Roy's going to throw the game, too. Mm -hmm. So when he says, give him the good, you know, the real stuff, Al, and he tells him, hey, I'll start pitching when you start hitting. Because with the the way Roy Hobbs was playing, it looked like he was trying to throw the game. Right, 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 right. not because he was in pain and couldn't do it, but fortunately for them, though, the rest of the team didn't do well, and Al didn't have to keep throwing the game to, <laughs> yep, you know, running the score up. But then, of course, you know, we get to the scene, the final, the final scene of the game, where um, bottom of the ninth, two out, two runners on, down by two. You know, the whole, the whole, just like the, the, the. Every kid's dream is to be in that position to win the game. And that's where uh, Iris sends down the message telling him that her son is their son. And that's what inspires him. And you can see him trying to see her. He's, he keeps looking around and trying to see if he can see her. But he gets up there and and that's when he hits hits the ball that, that basically destroys the lighting in the park. Kind of makes me wonder if a ball hits one bulb and it destroys the entire lighting system. No, <laughs> building codes are more more of a more of a guideline than a rule back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it really is, and it's it's down to if I remember, is it two strikes too? Wasn't it? It was like yeah, I kind of wonder that you know because they brought in that young pitcher again, the young Nebraskan farm boy. It was kind of like the replay of. Mm-hmm. Him versus the whammer, except now the role's reversed. And, you know, the first pitch, he fouls it straight back and it hits the glass by Max Mercy. And then I was thinking about that. I wonder if that, you know, when he's, <laughs> when Roy's pitching and he steps back, like you were saying earlier at the, mm-hmm. at the train, um, with the, the whammer, cause he's like, I think he's wild. Well, I wonder if that was kind of like a, Another way of doing the same thing, except, you know, the foul ball coming back and hitting yeah. the, you know, going after Max. And then the next foul ball was a home run and it lightning strikes. And there goes Wonder Boy yep. cracking. And and then little Bobby Savoy brings out his Savoy special mat yep. that he worked with Roy Hobbs to make. And then yep. it's the Boy, amazing man. home run. Yeah, that, that that first that first fall ball. I mean, he, Max looks out and Roy's looking right at him. So yeah. it's like you know that was on purpose. Mm-hmm. That, that was that was that was a forget you message type. Yeah, message. <laughs> kind of fall ball. That 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 was an aimed shot. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted that one to go there. Yeah, but yeah, you have that that gr- you know great shot because because he had Roy and had made a friendship with Bobby. 
you know, and mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, oh, I'd made, you know, he was telling him, Bobby, that, yeah, I, I made this bad. And you know what? Go to the lumber store, get a chunk of lumber, and I'll help you make your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what he ends up using to, to win the game with this, this massive grand slam or three run homer. And then you get the fireworks that aren't fireworks, yep. but just lights <laughs> exploding. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually kind of dangerous. Probably some shrapnel there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it looks so cool. The oh, sparks coming down around them and, and just, just a iconic scene. One, one mm-hmm. of the most iconic scenes from this movie of yeah. him rounding the, you know, you see him like, you know, basically like, like the camera would be in line with second base between first and second base. And you see him coming and you see all the sparks behind him mm-hmm. showering down from the lights. And then there's the judge in his office with the others in the darkness or mostly dark office. Yep. And the light. Right. So, and final scene, he's playing catch with his boy in the same field he did with his dad with Iris watching. So happy ending. No, just like kind of giving his, his son the chance to, you know, pitch, pitch with his, you know, dad as he's older than he never got his dad died so early. So it was nice. And I was just going to say, and as a transition, I thought you almost feel like, oh, we're going to get some more lights or firework kind of look. And then they actually end up in the field, you know, because, you know, with the, with the weed or what, you know, that's in the air kind of thing. And it was a neat touch to. (laughs) Yeah. We don't know what happened to the team after they got the pennant because they won the pennant. Yeah. But they didn't, doesn't show what they did in playoffs or anything like that. It was just. Right. They reached their goal. And that, that's another mm-hmm. thing where I, I, you know, talk about major league that they did too, is the, you know, they won the game to go into the postseason, and we don't see the postseason. Mm-hmm. Of course, watch the next movie. I think they lost out like in the first round or whatever, but yeah, yeah, but still they made it to the playoffs, you know, and it, it's that same kind of idea. It's like, we don't know how the Knights did if they lost out in the playoffs or mm-hmm. what, but so anything else, either you have to say about this great movie. Well, one thing I thought about um, that I liked too was when he's playing well in the beginning, and then John, I think it's John Olson, it's, if I remember right, the name comes up to him and he says, Hey, I like that lightning bolt. You know, talks about the bat. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I like that lightning bolt. It reminds me of, you know, something that, what were they like, flying aces would have or something mm-hmm. like, you know. Yeah, the, 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 the unit patches. Right, the unit patches, and then he puts one on, and then he starts playing well. <laughs> yeah, and then the yeah. whole team lines up, and then they all have them on, you know, for the yeah. next game or whatever. And you know, and and since Wolf uh, Pop Fisher is such a uh, superstitious guy, you know, thinks he stinks. You know, there's the <laughs> superstition yeah. that plays out, and and there's so many superstitions in baseball to begin with. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Guys who will run off the field and not touch the line with their shoe, you know, or whatever it might be, and certain mannerisms and stuff. So it's like it was that was like something I always enjoyed was the superstitious stuff that they yeah. that they really added into the movie like that. And well, it's kind of funny you talk about superstitions. That's one thing that's changed in baseball in the recent year is with the pitch clock. Oh yeah, because you always had the batter that would step out and readjust their gloves and poke around and. And then mm-hmm. they get back in. Well, now they've got 15 seconds. They got to get out, get back in. They don't have time mm-hmm. to be messing with their gloves and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Or pitchers that, you know, they, they, they've got their routine that they do, that they look a certain way. And now they can't do that. So they're kind of taking away a little bit of that superstition with the pitch clock. But mm-hmm. overall for just the movie, I just like, I mean, they're, they're pretty simple messages where just you know, like, you know, if you have even, even for a, a, a character, nickname the natural natural talent isn't enough and whatever mm-hmm. you do just basic message of natural talent isn't enough to um you know and um be true to yourself the whole you know mm-hmm. and or you'll or you or you might lose your way and that's kind of a constant throughout this whole thing um yep. so it's it's pretty simple but actually but it's one of those lessons that kind of has to be retold over and over because we mm-hmm. don't really obviously that doesn't that doesn't stick sometimes it's a good lesson to always hear yeah exactly and one thing we, we kind of mentioned some of the 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 actors that are in this and there's some this is actually an all-star cast i mean you look at the list of actors in this it's incredible of course robert redford was roy hobbs robert duvall was max mercy you know he's always he's always one of those characters that's so great to see on oh, on yeah. screen 
He's he's great in almost oh all the way up to secondhand lines. He's great. Yeah, he's a great guy. Great. Yeah, he's guy. just such a great actor. Glenn Close was Iris Gaines. Um, Kim Basinger, Mimo Paris. I admit, it, I admit, I forgot how beautiful she was way back when. She made. She always. Uh, she could do a good femme fatale. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wilford Brimley, as we mentioned, for Pop Fisher. Barbara Hershey was Harriet Bird, another another great actress from back then. Um, Robert Prosky is, is one of those characters. The Judge is one of those those character actors you see in everything. I mean, he's just all over the place, and he always plays kind of the conniving type of character. You know, kind of that that kind of character that's got you know an ulterior motive. Then the whammer was Joe Don Baker, another oh, one of those Don. character actors that. Again, he always plays plays that grouchy character. I mean, walking tall. Yep. Oh yeah. And then uh, Darren McGavin is Russ uh, Gus Sands. Now, I think a lot of us would recognize him from a Christmas story. He was mm-hmm. the dad in the Christmas story. That's where we would recognize him from. But he's another actor that was all over the place. He was the hey, it's that guy kind of a person from that era. Yep. He's one of those. Yeah. Well, very good. And as we wrap up, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who made it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and TV, including Richard C., Andrew C., Santa S., Kathy S., and Mark M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to follow the secrets of movies and TV on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash StarQuestMedia. If you've enjoyed this discussion, please share it with your friends and help us grow our audience. To find other discussions of movies and TV shows or to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash secrets. Our email for feedback is secrets at sqpn.com. You can follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia or on Twitter at sqpn. You can also join the discussion on our Discord at sqpn.com slash Discord. So as we close, David Handlos, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of the natural. Thanks for inviting me. And John Coral, thank you as well. Thank you. Had a great time. And once again, I'm Father Corey Stika. Thank you for listening to the secrets of the natural on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Let's Science. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science.